is not what I am Even though my zip code has changed I might smile and enjoy Where I could be employed Your soul can't be rearranged It's episode 5 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast Your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast I'm Steve Garshinsky And with me today is J.P. Breen Ryan is off chasing the eclipse, so he'll return next episode to tell us about that experience, and I need everybody to send questions and ask him about it, because he has a story he's willing to tell, and it's going to be really intriguing for everyone. So uh, I feel like everyone needs to ask Ryan how fantastic the view was, and just how moving. Exactly, like like what kind of feeling he had when he saw that total eclipse. Ask him about that. Um, Hey, we want you to submit questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE tailgate or email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. You can also follow Ryan JP and myself on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Twitter bio again, that's at MKE tailgate. Just a quick reminder that Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored in part by sound devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV series like Game of Thrones. If you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast like we try to do every week, check out the MixPre 3 or the MixPre 6. And for more information, visit sounddevices.com. So the Brewers, they're currently out in San Francisco right now, and then they're off to L.A. before they get to head back to Miller Park. And JP, I don't know if you're like me, but once the Brewers head out west... It tends to be kind of a I get updates in the morning deal with them because I, I have a toddler running around the house, so I'm usually up early in the morning and staying up for these West Coast games can get tough. Yeah, it used to be easier when I was in the central time zone because I could stay up a little bit later after doing work or, or schoolwork or things like that. But ever since I've moved to the East Coast, I've been finding that man, these games don't start until like 1015. And so they're going easily until 115, 130. And if I've got some late work to do or something like that, you know, maybe I can stay up, but I got to be up and ready for 18 year olds who don't necessarily know what they're talking about at eight 30 in the morning. So I can't stay up for that anymore. Oh, and I'm sure they're all thrilled to be up at that time too. Absolutely. Cause they all went to bed nice and early, got a full eight hours and are all bright eyed and bushy tailed. <laughs> I was going to say, if you want to know who is watching the game is probably a bunch of college 18 year olds who aren't really paying yeah. attention to what time it is. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, let's get into it. The Brewers are still in this playoff push right now, um, and Anthony Pollard asks, who is the most important player for the final push? What are your thoughts, JP? Yeah, it's it's difficult to isolate a single player, obviously, but I think in my mind, it's going to be, if I had to identify one person, I suppose, I with the added caveat that obviously a bunch of other players need to to perform well. But I think Chase Anderson and how he comes back from his injury is going to be huge because the starting rotation not only needs somebody like Anderson to come in and replace, you know, quality innings, but they just need innings at this point too. They they cannot allow a bullpen that, you know, is kind of be hit or miss. They can't allow that bullpen to get overworked for the end and stretch. Now I know a lot of people are going to come back and say it's got to be somebody like Eric Thames or it's got to be somebody like Domingo Santana who has kind of struggled a little bit uh, in the recent month, if if I remember correctly. Um, Yeah, he's had a rough go of it lately. Right, and I get get the offensive piece. I really do. But if 
Chase Anderson isn't getting the job done and they need to go back to Suter or they need to go to Taylor Youngman or they need to really rely on Brandon Woodruff to come in and be productive, you know, when he's not even had a chance to adjust to the big leagues yet, it's going to be a tough go for it. So I think he's going to really need to be able to step into the role that he abdicated when he got, when he got hurt. He didn't abdicate it, but he got hurt. Yeah, he got hurt. I mean, Jimmy Nelson stepped up quite a bit when Anderson went down. I think that's when Nelson really took his step forward. So, um, but yeah, I, I think getting Anderson back at this point, it's almost like they made a deadline deal. You know, all right. of a sudden you insert him back into the rotation. You get Steven Vote back. I mean, that's a little bit more depth behind the not a great player. I mean, I'm not yeah, saying he's yeah, the guy yeah. that's gonna like carry you to the playoffs, but they were looking pretty thin behind the plate as far as depth went there. So I right. mean they needed to get someone like that back. Yeah. I mean, who's your guy that you're really looking at to be able to to turn it on if the Brewers need to rely on somebody down the stretch here? I mean, I I think everybody kind of dreams on Thames getting hot again. If if he could have another month like he did early, and even if it's not as crazy it was in April, um, you know, a guy like that, uh, we've seen Broxton, he heated up, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, definitely made a difference. And, I mean, I think you always have Braun offensively that you're kind of waiting to really turn it on and be that MVP player again. So, yeah. I mean, any of those guys, I think offensively, if you're looking for somebody to to really make that difference, I'd probably look at those three guys. Yeah, and it's difficult because you look at the Brewers and obviously the weak link in the past month and a half has been has been the offense. And I know a lot of people do want to look at the bullpen, but offensively, it's been they've gone over stretches where they really struggle to score runs. They struggle to put hits together. They don't hit the home run when you're looking for it. But it's difficult to actually pin down individual people's who uh, people who have struggled because it just feels like they're all like they're, they're not distributing their hits correctly or they're not all getting like hot at the right time because Domingo Santana's obviously struggled a little bit but like Travis Shaw's still been solid, Ryan Braun's still solid, Thames has actually been pretty good since the beginning of July. You know, Neil Walker's been good. Cam Broxton's been been pretty good. I mean, even uh, VR has been playing better. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, if you look at it in isolation, it's actually kind of difficult to figure out why the Brewers are struggling so bad offensively because it's not like they've got six people going through a prolonged slump at the same time. But, you know, maybe it is going to get back to the the question about, you know, are they striking out too much? Are they not hitting enough home runs? Are they not getting enough singles? And, you know, that's something that we've, I think we probably beaten a dead horse on that over the last, you know, few episodes already. But it gets to a really difficult position in which I still think that they've got the talent to be able to score runs. And so that's why I think for myself, final push, it's got to be the starting rotation. Starting rotation is solid. They can pitch deep into games. It just makes life easier for everything else. Well, and I think I think pretty much any team in it right now is probably thinking the same thing. I mean, right. w- when you get to the end of the season, and especially when you get into the playoffs, it's all about that rotation and how many innings they can eat. Right. And that's a big reason why the Cubs are really lamenting the fact that John Lester just went on the DL, because they've already had pitching issues. And the fact that Lester now is on the DL, and who knows when he comes back, you know, it's it almost feels like it negates their, their, their Quintana pickup, because he was a guy that was supposed to supplement some depth, not somebody who's supposed to take over for John Lester. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, okay, we'll move on. Uh, Zachary Vinson asks, who is the better overall first baseman, offense plus defense, Thames or Aguilar? 
Yeah, I'm going to throw that on you since I answered the first one. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I was looking at it today, and I, I know a lot of people look to, like, move one of these guys. They think, like, we have depth, so you have to move them. But you have Thames, who's hitting 258, 378, 543 versus righties, and Aguiar is hitting 320, 388, and 560 versus lefties. So I personally like to just look at them as basically your first base platoon and don't see the need of, you know, to pick one over the other. If you're going to look at it that way, I'd go with Thames because he's on the heavy side of the platoon. He's going to get the most at-bats. He's going to give you the most successful at-bats since he's the one who can take on righties. So, um, I mean, neither guy's expensive. Aguilar's under a year of service time. Thames has his, you know, affordable contract. So, I, do you have any thoughts on it, JP? Uh, I think that a lot of people have... I think that, you know, Zachary asked this question because Aguilar's had a really... He had a great series in Colorado in which he hit, what, three three home runs in two days or something like that? Yeah. And so people want Aguilar to get a long look. And it's an expectation issue with Eric Thames because everybody wanted him to be as good as he was in April and any deviation from that. A lot like, you know, when, when Gene Segura put on just a brilliant first couple of months and then just never really hit that hype or hit those heights again, everybody threw the towel in on him with not be really paying attention to the fact that he still had the skills and he was still pretty young. And so Eric Thames is what he is. And, and he, as you said, he still is producing. And Aguilar, I think one of the biggest kind of question marks that people don't talk about enough is he's not great defensively. And no, I mean, neither of them are really great defensive first baseman. No, absolutely not. But if you're looking at somebody who has any range at, at first base, though, Eric Thames is going to have a little bit more range than somebody like Aguilar is. Yeah. Um, but I mean, not Th- saying that any of them are going to be a gold glove winner by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. I mean, Thames isn't a big guy, so it's not like he's given a big target right. for, you know, guys to throw at from around the diamond either. So, I mean, right. the, the expectation that he's going to like somehow, you know, scoop up a lot of stuff or, or basically prevent overthrows i mean it's kind of difficult for a guy who's is he six foot maybe he's right around six foot yeah i think he's 511 ish yeah i mean it's it's the muscles that make him look taller i think <laughs> until he stands next to somebody who's like i think he was standing next to uh god i don't remember who it was i thought i think it was like giancarlo stanton no it was eric it was uh it was um i was aaron judge at first base oh. and just just things just look tiny well, um, Judge is a freak too. I mean, the guy's yeah, like six eight. <laughs> yeah, but I think I I'm going to deviate a little bit because I will say that I think Eric Thames is the better off offensive and defensive together in terms of being a first baseman. I would go with Eric Thames starting over uh, Jesus Aguilar, even though I like Aguilar quite a bit. But I will say that a lot of people haven't been paying attention because he went to the to the AL. But Garrett Cooper, who we who we traded to to the Yankees. He's hitting 326, 333, 488. And, you know, he's only played like 13 games over for him. But it's great to see somebody who went level by level through the Brewers minor league organization, got a shot to go somewhere else because, you know, Thames and Aguilar were were good. And there there was no opportunity for playing time for Cooper. Went to the Yankees. And it's not probably going to be sustainable i mean his batting average on balls and play is like 440 and it's only 13 games but 
still, it's always nice to see guys who paid their dues in the minors get a chance to go to the majors and and like get the job done. Because if he can if he can stick in the majors and he can get that big league paycheck, man, that's I mean he's 25, 26 now, 26 years old, and so. I mean, he he spent a lot of time. It's not like he's a 21, 22-year-old who's got a lot of time before he hits his prime. So I've been super happy for him, actually, even though he obviously went on the DL recently. But it's still good to see him get the job done. Yeah. Um, okay, so we got a couple similar questions here. Uh, one's from Ben Hurdle, and the other is from Steve Streeter. Uh, hey, GP, JP, uh, not sure you have any insight on this, but do the crew have a good chance of bringing back Walker and Swarzak next year? And then Steve Streeter asked if the Brewers sign Swarzak or Walker beyond this season, uh, would they accept two to three year deals? I mean, I guess he's looking at kind of what type of contract it would take to sign those guys. Right. Yeah. I think if, I think if Swarzak who I believe signed as a minor league free agent a year ago, uh, if he got a two or three year deal, I think he'd jump on that pretty easily. Obviously it depends on, on the amount of money, but I think the Brewers do have a chance to to potentially sign one of them. Absolutely. I don't necessarily know what the percent like what the probability is. I haven't necessarily asked anybody around, you know, around the club what the what, you know, what the probability is or anything like that. But I think with somebody like Walker, he's not going to be looking for a huge deal because he's in his mid 30s already. Early early 30s, mid 30s. Uh, I think uh, he's mid 30s, yeah. And so if he got if he had a 2-year deal, and the money was right. The Brewers have plenty of uh, plenty of payroll space to make something like that happen. So, I mean, do you have could, a, do you have a preference of one of the two? I don't. Uh, I I like I said. I mean, I like Neil Walker. I think he's a nice little player. I'm not necessarily sure if the Brewers don't sign Walker. I'm not necessarily sure they're going to go out and get a second baseman. If they feel like they need a second baseman, Walker would be one of the more attainable guys that you would like to see the Brewers target. I mean, do you think so, it's better to go with Walker or give VR another shot? It depends on how he plays, right? I mean, over the next month and a half. I mean, if he continues to show flashes, maybe you look at him as a Hernan Perez sort of super sub. Yeah, I know. Year, right? Yeah, we, we talked about that an episode or two ago, I think, where yeah. VR would be more the super sub. And then, you know, if they could keep Walker, keep him at second. I mean, how long of a deal? Two to three years sounds right for Walker. I I would I, be surprised if it required a three-year deal just because of his age but and his injury history, which is why any type of the, – the Brewers don't have any payroll issues. So the fact that they would maybe have to go three years isn't going to cause any pay, payroll problems. Sure. But, what about Swarzak? I mean – do you think that's a legit guy to kind of target in the offseason trying to retain him? Or do you kind of get, you know, the the fear of a, a David Risky signing happening again? <laughs> you man, you've got some bad nightmares from what is that mid 2000s, late 2000s long term relief deals? Yeah, it was like, I don't know, 2008, 2009. Right yeah. in there. I mean, he pitched like a game or two and then I think he spent the next, you know, three years on the DL. Was he the no? It was Matt Wise is the one who cut his hand on the salad tongs. Yes, nice. Yeah, yeah that wasn't nice. risky. I forget what risky did. He just never pitched. Plus, <laughs> and, he was like a soft tosser. They're like, hey, let's get a soft tossing relief ace. Like that exists. 
Well, uh, okay, yeah, Doug Jones existed, but after that, well, I was gonna say like Pat, it's not like Pat Neshek throws hard, right? And if Mark DeFelice wouldn't have blown out his elbow because he threw a slider or threw his cutter that was just brutal on his elbow, he could have been a relief ace. He was he was nasty. Sure, some guys can get it done, but if I'm going to hand out a contract, I don't think those are going to be the guys I'm looking for three year, ten plus right. million dollars a year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think Swarzak is a is the kind of guy that would ideally be a mid a middle relief sort of guy. I don't think he to me he struggles too much against lefties to be somebody that I want to always have in high leverage situations. If he's a high leverage guy where it's three straight right handers or something to that effect, sure, great. But you know, he gives up too many home runs. Uh, throughout his career and he still has struggled against lefties this year and so if i do think that it's going to be one or two guys that they're really going to have to pay for the bullpen i'd like to see somebody better than swarzak but if it's going to be swarzak on a one-year deal or a two-year deal for a decent you know not not an exorbitant amount of money and they're going to still look at the bullpen as a place that they could potentially get up an impact arm then that's fine but i don't think he's the answer or anything like that I mean, I know your opinion on relievers in general, but I, I think they're all interchangeable and they shouldn't get paid anything. Basically, just come out here, throw hard, and then I, I don't need to see you again once you fail me. But like that, that's <laughs> such an outdated thing. I know, I uh, know. Because I actually think that that's not actually wrong if you're not looking at elite guys. But we've seen year after year that elite relievers are not only not hugely volatile, but they're underpaid for their value and they're how you can actually supplement. I mean, that's how the the Orioles got it done for, for years. That's how the Rockies are actually better than, than they should be. But how long do they have to do it before you truly believe they're an elite reliever? Because, I mean, there are guys who it's have pop-up seasons. It's a couple seasons. of years. You're right, it's a couple of years for me, right? And I truly mean elite. I don't mean like Swarzak is good. Like, you know, he's good this year and therefore he's somehow somewhere near elite. I mean, like, or I mean, we we saw Knable earlier. He was lights right. out this season and then he's hit his road bumps and he's had trouble. Right. I mean, but it's a it's a couple of years worth, right? It's it's your guys like, you know, obviously your Andrew Millers, it's your Brad hands. It's your, uh you know, your your Kenley Jansons. But if you're looking at guys who could potentially be available in the offseason, I still think Brad hand makes so much sense. I mean, if the price tag can somehow not be Lewis Brinson. I think the, I think that just makes so much sense for the Brewers. Not only is he a lefty, but he's just lights out. Now, if you're Stearns and you're this front office, when do you start like really investing in building this bullpen? It depends on what else you're going to be able to do, and I, that's a that's a huge cop out answer. But if you think that your offense is ready, and you're going to say Lewis Brinson's in center next year. You're going to have Domingo Santana. You're going to have Ryan Braun. You've got first base figured out. You've got third base figured out. Shortstop's obviously set. And maybe you do get somebody like Neil Walker. Maybe you do make a deal and and try to get, you know, Ian Kinsler or something like that. And you think that your offense is at least solid. I say a solid meaning above average, not elite, but, you know. Sure. Top, top somewhere between like sixth and third best in the NL or something like that. Um, And then you think that your starting rotation is good enough. And they've certainly got depth in the starting rotation. If you're projecting ahead to next year, if you think that those are, are solid, 
and they're young and they're controllable and you don't have to pay out the nose for them and you think that you can get legit elite bullpen arms for a year or two, I don't think there's any problem investing in something like that. I think it becomes an issue of if you still think the starting rotation needs to be upgraded because then if you're you're investing in, in the bullpen, you think that you need to still go get an arm or two for the rotation. If you still think you need a second baseman, if you still think that you need an issue in you know, behind the plate, because you think that Manny Pena is a great backup option, but you still don't want him to start. Like if you're going to still have those questions, I think it becomes a different conversation. Um, We got a long question from Charlie Robolewski. He uh, sent us his question on Facebook. So we're showing everybody that we will check Facebook and get these questions on. If you uh, follow our, our Facebook page, that's Milwaukee. Positive reinforcement from the person with a four-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast on Facebook. You can find it. And Charlie asks, uh, I would love to hear some some discussion on the 2018 pitching staff, uh, mainly the merits of trading Knable in the offseason and filling the bullpen with higher-end minor league arms uh, the way they are with Hater presently. I totally understand that it's not realistic for a full pen. I've just wondered how much value could be captured from plugging in AA and AAA arms out of the starter track and into the MLB pen rather than the best case scenario of productive starting pitching long-term and risking injury uh, in, in the minors. I think this is kind of an interesting question. I, I've actually discussed this with Ryan before as far as like uh, a way to approach the bullpen. I wouldn't quite do it the way that, that Charlie here is asking by converting starters into relief pitchers. But what about just using more guys like Hater and breaking them in in the majors as relief aces or guys that can basically start stretching out in, in the major leagues? I mean, is that a thing that they can do, or is there just a feeling that guys have to come up as starters, stick as starters, and that's the only way you can get guys to go seven innings in a game? Yeah, it it's going to depend on the arm. I mean, Hayter's the kind of guy who has a relief profile. I mean, you obviously hope that it can st- that he can eventually move to the starting rotation, but having a guy like Brandon Woodruff move to the the bullpen. That's not a great option. I mean, obviously, I talked a lot about Willie Peralta moving to the bullpen, and I actually thought that was going to be a great option, but I think it highlights something that people, including myself, obviously, with Peralta, make the assumption that anyone can pitch in the bullpen, that anyone can move to the bullpen, that everyone's stuff gets better in the bullpen, that it's easier because you don't have to throw all your pitches. But it's not just as simple as just all of a sudden getting out there into the seventh inning without with needing a short time to warm up. Some guys who are starters need a long time to warm up before they're going to start doing it because it's what they're used to. You also need young guys to still get used to, you know, pitching every fifth day. You still need them to get used to having that off season routine. And so it depends. And I don't think that it's, I mean, Corey Knable, he had nothing left to prove in the minors, right? I mean, he was, he had a really nice season at AAA last year and he wasn't, he wasn't great when he came up. And so this idea that people, you know, like Corbin Burns or Taylor Youngman or something like that, where, you know, they just, 
quote unquote, don't have anything to prove and can come up into the bullpen and somehow just immediately hit the ground running. You know, Freddie Peralta has been thrown out as a guy like that too. Like those things don't make sense all the time. Well, we, is there something you should look for in a pitcher to think like, okay, maybe this guy's stuff is going to play up when he does get into the bullpen? Like, yeah, it's a, what, what are those, I guess, what are you looking for to say like, okay, you know, I think we were talking earlier before we started recording, you didn't think Taylor Youngman's stuff would play up in the bullpen. Right. Now, why right. is that? Well, because number one, he's pretty max effort already. So it's not like he's got a lot in the tank that he can really like let loose. But if you're looking at for if you're looking for something to work in the bullpen, it's guys who have a great pitch, not guys who are pretty good, have three pitch profiles, and you know somehow something is going to to play up. That could happen, but it's kind of a shot in the dark unless you see something in a side profile or a side session or something like that. But like Hater, nobody can touch his fastball. He can't he can't throw a slider for strikes. His his his, uh, his changeup has been kind of hit and miss, which is why all the conversation about moving him right now to the rotation has been kind of tough. But Peralta, what's his one great pitch? I mean, his fastball obviously is is hard and it's a good sinker, but he doesn't miss bats with it. And so that's not you know looking back at my own thoughts about how I magically thought that Peralta was somehow going to be better. You know, that's something I missed. I mean, what's Youngman's best pitch? I mean, like he's, even what's, what's yeah, his best he's, pitch in general? Youngman just looks like such a middle-of-the-road pitcher where you're kind of like, right. hey, he's he's out there, he's doing it, but nothing's really, like, popping. Right. And he was supposed to have, you know, that that plus curveball, mm -hmm. which has never really shown up. I don't think we've, yeah. ever, we've never seen anything that was – you never hearken back to the days of Ben Sheets. Right. You know, right. And absolutely. And like Canable is somebody with a great when it's on, it's a it's a great curveball. Right. But well, that's how you say, end up in the bullpen is when you have to have days where it's on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we had a question about it. Um, John Perham, who is down in I think he's in double A. Um, I last I can remember, I guess. Uh, but he's he's actually got a really good slider that can miss bats. And so, like, he is somebody who I could potentially see being productive as as a reliever because he's got something that can miss bats. Freddie Peralta is another guy who, again, could be good in, in the bullpen because he's got stuff to miss bats. And it, the question is just like, you know, how do you expect somebody who's 21, 22 year old, tw 22 years old to come up and get into the bullpen and somehow need to be productive in the bullpen in a team that's trying to compete, uh, compete, but somehow also need to work on his sequencing, needs to work on his secondary pitches, needs to work on his, his ability to work deep into games and working on, you know, throwing his, his pitches and sequencing different the second and third time in the order, how he's supposed to work against lefties, like all of these things that guys are down in the minors to do. They're not just in the minors to show if they can have success in, in double A and then triple A and, they're not just there trying to show whether or not they can put up stats at these levels. Like they're, they're working on stuff and it's the guys like Corbin Burns is somebody that's not really working on much. Like he is somebody who you're just hoping can kind of keep it together. His velocity uptick is, is still good, but you know, I don't necessarily know. Is there somebody that you've been looking at down there that you think, you know, potentially could follow in the hater path? 
Me personally, no, yeah. but I don't spend a lot of time looking at bullpen arms. So that right. that's I kind suppose. of my that's kind of my my thing. If I see a guy's coming up on the bullpen, obviously I'm not sitting there thinking like, oh, what's he going to do long term? So right. I mean, you know, it's basically who who's going to come up and actually like contribute innings to the team. So and I know, and in a lot of cases, it's you know who's going to fail, and then those guys fail out into the bullpen. Right, and sometimes they do. Right, and the hard part is is you know, you have your Luke Hochevars of the world, right? With the with the Royals, who big time prospect coming up, just never could get it going in the big leagues. Moved to the bullpen, suddenly awesome. He got hurt, and you know there are questions with that too. But like, those are the type of guys that everybody throws out as just put your struggling starters in the bullpen and it'll be great. But it doesn't always work that way. And sometimes I get that. The issue is you never know until you try. For some people, that's probably the case. But do you really want to derail somebody's development as a starter in the minors because you just kind of want to see if it can work in the in in the bullpen for a team that's trying to compete, for a team that has designs on competing for next year and has arms right now that are actually pretty good? And so trading somebody like Knable away doesn't make sense because he doesn't have the track record to really get something premium back. And you're just going to then have to turn around and trade or sign somebody to replace him. So the Knable move doesn't really make much sense to me. I know that Ryan actually is kind of he's interested bounced, in that move. He's, he's considered it. He's bounced back and forth. I think he's kind of on the you can't trade Knable right now. I think he's enamored with and, the idea that you could like trade high and win. Well, in last year, I think got everybody really excited for what you could get for trading bullpen arms you know, especially controllable arms, what they got for, you know, trading Will Smith and including Jeffress and trading Thornburg in the off season. I mean, teams were able to trade is ridiculous, like ridiculously good for the Brewers. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't only, it wasn't only Travis Shaw who, even if it was just Travis Shaw, the Brewers made out like bandits. Oh yeah. They got Mauricio Dubon and they got Josh Pennington and Pennington's actually been coming up as somebody who scouts really like down in, in able, so that trade was awful for the Red Sox. Yeah, well, and again, I think it's the Dombrowski era out in Boston. So that's what that's what he does is he'll trade talent away if he thinks he can get some immediate. I know, upgrades. but he's got Rafael Devers out there. Well, hitting bombs. That now, is so that is him. yeah, that is the other thing. I mean, the Devers coming up, so it's not like they they traded Shaw with the idea that right there was no like- plan long term. Right, and it's not like Dubon had a clear path to playing time. It's not like he's going to no. unseat like Bogarts. He's not going to take over Pedroia's spot. He's not going to take over for Mookie Betts. Like, no, Pedroia's hurt enough. You'd think they'd want somebody legit behind him. But, yeah. I but suppose. yeah, you can't You can't have a guy sitting there waiting for Pedroia to get hurt. Right, right. Especially somebody that you actually... That's why they were starting to play him in center field, too. But then Mookie Betts came on and was Mookie Betts. So yeah, I mean, that, that outfield in Boston is set now for a while. Yeah, well, they still got Jackie, Jackie Bradley Jr. out there. Yeah, they're they're loaded. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of players who have been hurt, uh, we got some Ryan Braun questions coming up. That was rude. <laughs> well, hey, it, it, that kind of plays into part of this. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll address uh, what's going on right now first. Uh, Josh, what were we going with the pronunciation here? Gautier. I think it's Gautier. Gautier. It's probably he's he's not the Australian pop singer. <laughs> no, no, I, I prefer to think of it as, as French. I mean, it could be Gothier, but 
I it prefer to think of it as Josh Gautier. Okay. He asks, has Braun been less clutch this season than in the past? Did you look this up at all? No, but I know you did. I, I did look up some of this and I'm not big on clutch stats. Um, generally, uh, for his career, uh, you can actually check it on uh, baseball reference. I got all this stuff kind of split up, but like two, two outs runners in scoring position for his career, uh, Braun has hit 280, 381, 508, which isn't that far off what his career numbers are. Um, and this season, uh, in those same situations, he's hit 182, 308, 364. So that's just two outs, runners in scoring position. Uh, late and close, he's you know hitting uh, 235, 350, 294. Um, it's really... Those aren't the numbers you had on the sheet. No, no. Oh, yeah. The numbers I have on the sheet were just his numbers from this year versus career. And then all of a sudden I started writing down all the numbers and I'm like, well, this is getting ridiculous. I'll just pull up the page. Um, so is Braun hitting worse this year uh, in clutch situations? Probably. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, by the numbers you were saying, pretty definitively. Yeah. But I mean, we're also looking, I think uh, in, in some cases, those were like, 24 at bats or 24 plate appearances. Right. Right. And so there's always it's, and it's useful, right? Because there's a distinction between has he been worse in clutch situations and the corollary question, which is, does that mean he's going to be worse going forward? And so the answer to me via the numbers you gave is yeah, absolutely. He's been worse in quote unquote clutch situations this year, but the sample's so small. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't have any correlation of what it's going to do for the rest of the year. He could have a hot September and those numbers would look the same by the Absolutely. end of the year. He could have like what, I mean, if it's 24 games or 24 at bats or whatever, it, it was is, like 24 plate appearances. Yeah. In a lot of cases, I would say he could have like, he could have one series and hit a couple of home runs with runners in scoring position and two outs. And suddenly it starts to look a lot better. Um, so yeah, Braun's been less clutch, but again, he's also played about half the games this season. So, you know, you're looking at a guy who's dealt with some injuries. He's not playing as much as usual. And you're look, just looking at a really small sample size. So, I mean, it, we could check in at the end of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the year, we look at it and say, mm, it was a, you know, down year for him in those situations, but I wouldn't judge anything moving forward on it. Right. Because it's always... The next question is always why, right? And so if it's not random fluctuation, it's, well, he's become a worse hitter, and we know that's not true. It is it like he's pressing too much? I mean, maybe, but that's going to be a completely unverifiable claim that we have no chance, we have no prayer of answering that. Uh, is it like, you know... I don't know. The wrong players are on base in front of him or something stupid like that. Probably not. VR is dancing around on the bases and he's like, just settle down. Right. Or like he's maybe he's even maybe every time that he's had runners in scoring position, it's been a clutch situation. He's been facing the other team's closer or like it's been, Max Serger, where it's been, you know, Clayton Kershaw. Like, yeah, there's just I mean, so much even within that we don't even know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the problem with Braun is we've seen him hit those guys before, though, as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Ryan Braun no, comes up fair. and he makes, you know, the best relievers look bad as well. Right. You know, that's yeah. that's right. how, how you get that reputation. That's how you win MVPs and stuff like that. So, 
Um, yeah, like I said, it's it's been a down year for Braun, but I mean, and actually, the season overall he's hitting two eighty six, three fifty nine, five twenty five, um, which I think adjusted for the runs environment is probably down a little bit from what he's done in the past, but it's not that far off of his uh, career stats. So, um, yeah, we'll see if he can get it back together again. I mean, he's a guy that could make a big difference if he gets on a hot streak and you know, in the last, uh, what do we got? Six weeks here, five weeks. Yeah. And I mean, I think the biggest narrative behind, you know, games, he sits out and everything is they're saying they're resting him. So he can play the last three weeks every single day if needed. And I he's going to need to, that's what they're saying, right? Yeah. Well, and if they want to make a playoff push, they're going to need him to. Yeah. So, um, Jason Donlinger asks, uh, Braun sits two home runs shy of 300. What's the over-under on 400 for his career? And sub-question, will his number eight be retired? Um, he will hold most club records. So do you want to take the first part first? Uh, I will answer the whole thing. Okay. Um, yes, he's going to hit over 400 for his career. Yes, his number will be retired. Yes, a lot of Brewers fans will be upset. But get over it. He's still been one of the best players in the league. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I don't know if he's going to hit 400. I don't know because he's. I mean, I guess has, you could say you don't know. He has, but obviously, he has anything four that years. Say, well, he has four years left on his contract with the Brewers, and then he's got the club option. So, right. So even so, he even if he hit 20 homers a year, he'd still be getting 400. If they decide, that. if they decide to pick up his club option on that last season, but if he's hitting 20 homers a year, they're going to. It sure. I guess my thing is. If he's dealing with injuries and he's in and out of the lineup a lot, uh, what are the chances he averages? And I'm going with the four years. What are the chances he averages 25 home runs a year from here on out? Well, so I should say that one of the things that I was couching this answer in is the fact that, you know, the juice ball or the run environment is also getting better, right? So 25 homers isn't necessarily, you know, as impressive as it was two years ago. Yeah, for a guy who, when the run environment was, you know, on his downward slope was hitting 40 home runs. Obviously mm-hmm. he had the power numbers, but he's also 33 and he's not getting younger. Yeah, but he's not, he doesn't profile as the type of guy that you're worried that his power is going to go away. Right. I mean, his power is like his forearms are massive and he gets so much torque in his swing that I'm not necessarily, he's a lot like Carlos Beltran and just, he's got a good swing. So even if he's old, he's not going to lose the power. Sure. I guess my, my fear is just that he's not going to be out there enough. Yeah, no, and that's valid. That right? would be I mean, that would be the reason. Not not because I think just talent wise he's going to lose it. I think he's just there's a possibility he's just not out there enough to average twenty to twenty five home runs a year to go sure. over four hundred. But if you are thinking over a four year period, I would think that there's going to be one of those four years in it would in which it's a pretty good bet that he stays healthy and hits thirty to thirty five one year, if not two years too. Oh yeah. No, I definitely do. I do think he could have that pop-up year yeah, where he plays enough games and, and has that big power spike. I, 400, I, like I said, I think that's a pretty even bet, though. I wouldn't be confident on either side of it. I wouldn't just say, like, yes, he's definitely going over or, yes, he's definitely under. I think it's going to be right around that. I think I it's going to be right com- around that number. I pretty comfortable with it. Okay. Um, yeah, it, I, I agree with you. That number eight will be retired. I think yeah. it would be disingenuous if he wasn't, if that number wasn't retired for Ryan Braun here in Milwaukee. I, I think I, there's no I way think around there's it. actually no argument 
no. behind it not being retired. No. Um, as far because if they had as big of an issue with his quote unquote dishonesty or his track record of PEDs that with the one year or whatever, like if that's that big of an issue, he shouldn't even be on the team right now. No, like just to de- all of a sudden decide down the road that that's so big of an issue that you don't want to acknowledge the fact that he's one of the best hitters, you know, in the organizational history or even the best hitter. I know that people, you know, older people will say, oh, Robin Yount, and, you know, cause I watched him during his prime or whatever. Like, that's fine. If you want to have a discussion between Robin Yount or Ryan Braun being better, I don't actually well, care. Which side if, you if you were just looking at who They're was the best brain. hitter, I would probably go with Braun versus Molitor. Is the best hitter on the oh, team. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, that's an interesting dis- that's an interesting distinction to make. Because so, Yount and, and Yount great, like hit tool. Yeah, Yount. I mean, mm-hmm. Yount was a great hitter, but also a lot of his value was he's playing short, he's playing center field. So I mean. The numbers he was putting up at those positions also elevated, I think, the kind of player he was. Just raw hit tool Molitor was probably No, I I think that's actually a good point. Um I yeah, I take that point. Um, as far as holding the most club records, I don't know about that. I was looking at it today, and he Braun is behind Yount quite a bit in a lot of categories. Um what about the number of PED suspensions? <laughs> you know, I'd be curious to see what would happen if some of those guys were playing in uh, the 2000s and on, yeah. as opposed to playing in the the 70s and 80s. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, Braun's not going to count catch Yount uh, in any of the war categories. And actually, what's interesting is when you look at uh, Braun's rate stats. I mean, he's he's behind Jeff Cirillo in batting average. He's behind Prince Fielder in on-base percentage. Um, he's just ahead of Prince Fielder in slugging percentage. Uh, he's behind Prince Fielder in OPS. You know, some of the stuff like that. Um, if Braun is playing out his career in Milwaukee, Fielder's done. He's already set his mark. Braun's going to kind of, uh, he's going to be on the downswing and I think he's going to actually fade in a few of those categories. And that's not to take away anything um, from what he's done in his career. But I'm just saying like the idea that Ryan Braun's going to be like the top guy in all these categories. Plus Yount played 20 seasons, so he's not catching Yount in, you know, hits and uh, just some of those counting stats that that, um, Yount's got such a lead on him. You know, Yount's right. going to have pl- Yount has double the games played right now, for right. compared to Ryan Braun. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up. For some reason, my internet's not working. That's cool. Um, or the baseball prospectus site's not working. I'd be interested to to see what the different t- sorts of like wins above replacement would say because they're not equal. Obviously, they're not equal, right? The way that they're created's not equal, and so positional adjustments there's going to be a question for what type of defensive metrics are used sure things like that um so i was just gonna look it up but But i mean yount yount gets positive defensive war as opposed to braun who you know was brutal at third base when he came up and then has spent the rest of his career playing left field i mean he doesn't really get much of a defensive boost anywhere no but i would say a couple of things just that I think works on an outdated model for defensive spectrum in, in terms of how it treats left field. 
Um, And I think that that's actually important because of not just for how easy it is to play left field, because I don't think that that's necessarily gotten different, but the fact that so many left fielders like offensively has gotten so like the standard for what it takes to be a good offensive left fielder has gotten so bad. And the number of good fielders in left field has gotten so high that I wonder if that's actually changed. I don't know. And I, I, you know, I guess we could ask, we could ask judge or we could ask somebody like that, like, you know, what the issues are in positional adjustments and if things need to be updated, but that'd be an interesting discussion to have too. Yeah. Um, I mean, interesting yeah, I to mean, me. It'd be interesting no, to left, me and like yeah, two left, other people. Again, left field has completely changed. I, I think we were talking about this in regards to fantasy baseball where you used to just be able to kind of wait and, you know, a Pat Burrell or somebody was sitting there for you to, to draft late in fantasy in left field. And that just doesn't exist anymore because you don't have these just power hitting behemoths, you know, camping out in left field. You know, you don't have like yeah. a, what, Travis Hafner? Did he, no, he was first base, wasn't he? Well, you just don't have anybody like the the thing was is you just stuck somebody who couldn't run and left and hope it worked. Adam right? Dunn, you, there we go. You you had your Adam Dunn's right. You had your your Johnny Gomes you put out there, and like Johnny Gomes couldn't play defense, but you just hoped to hide them there because in left field you thought they didn't have to run all that much. They didn't have to have a great arm, but eventually like those sort of things passed, and so almost the place it seems that you try to hide somebody is right field now, yeah. which is kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, considering the specific defensive skills you want in right field, I mean, it generally doesn't. More teams have been trying to hide people at third base, which is really strange. That one's odd. It seems like you're going to get somebody killed by doing that. Right, like you all of a sudden, like the Braves decided that Freddie Freeman was going to be a third baseman. Well, that's odd for a guy that you want to like pay and build around. I don't know why you'd you'd take that chance. So, oh, uh, one more thing, going back to uh, Braun catching Yount in some categories. Yount has the most doubles in team uh, club history with 583. Braun is currently sitting at 337. Yount has 126 triples. Braun has 44. Um, So, I mean, home runs is probably going to be the only thing. Well, okay. If, If Braun has another big season and gets really hot for a while, I mean, I guess he could get another 500 RBI in the next five years. Uh, question for you. Yeah. Ryan Braun wins a World Series in 2020, right? Let's say that happens. Okay. Everyone adore him more than Robin Yount because everybody can say that Ryan Braun got a ring. Ooh. Um, I don't know. I, I think there are enough people that Yount is just that. Yount has that that glow around him from being from another time. I I yeah. would have a hard time imagining a current player, even Ryan Braun, even with a uh, World Series title. Um, I think eclipsing that, I'd be really surprised, yeah. especially with 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 the baggage that Braun has. Yeah, I and I suppose like, that like y- Yount's thing too is that he was the first, right? Yeah. Like he was the first superstar. I, I, putting the Milwaukee Braves out of it, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. But for for the Brewers themselves, they obviously had good players before that. But in terms of the first bona fide superstar, that was that was Yount. It was Yount. He yeah. He he was a, a number one draft pick. He comes up at eighteen. You know, he basically gets better with the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, Yount's ascension and the team's ascension. You know, they followed the same path. 
So, you know, and then Yount goes out and, oh, by the way, I was this was kind of funny what I was looking at today was, uh, was it bronze 33 this year? Yeah, sounds right. Yount won his second MVP when he was 33 years old. Really? I mean, if you just want to kind of look at, at what the aging curve now, after that season, after the 89 season, Yount hit his decline. Like right. it was a very significant decline. He was mm-hmm. still a decent player, but it was his last great season was at 33. So it was interesting kind of looking at that and kind of thinking, okay, what's the aging curve going to be for Ryan Braun here? Again, that, that, was, that was another reason why I'm like, I don't know, 25, 20 to 25 a year, it's a big assumption to make. Like I agree, though, like you were saying uh, – Braun's a professional hitter. You look at that swing and nothing's going away with that. Where Yount had a lot more a lot more noise to his swing, would you say? Yeah. Well, and because the biggest thing with Braun is like he can be out for a month. He can not take a swing for two weeks and he can step into the big league batter's box, not take any like he has no rehab assignment, steps in, pinch hits, ninth inning, against somebody who's throwing upper 90s, he's going to take it to right field and tank it. Like, sure like he just is a natural hitter and well that's just, like when people were complaining a couple of years ago i think braun like barely played in spring training right and, and it was th- like well why isn't he playing he's not gonna be ready for the season right. and, and ryan and braun goes out braun. and does yeah he does ryan braun things when he gets right. to the batter's box and so people get offended when ryan braun's like i don't i don't need spring training like he's, spring training's a waste of time for him well and again spring and training spring the length of spring training is for pitchers the length it is, but it's also for young players, right? Well, it's well, sure, but I mean, major major league them. hitters. I mean, yeah. do they need more than a week or two? No, probably not. Probably a couple and, weeks. You know, that's... right? And the thing is, is they're also playing pitchers who are not even throwing all their full arsenal either, right? Yeah, like they're just getting used. To, they're getting into the swing of things again. But yeah, I mean, Ryan Braun doesn't need. It's the same thing with the Ramos Ramirez. He didn't need like spring training, but. This is a question that's not on not on the list here, and I think we've got like one more. But so well, we we kind of combined that other question we had left because you talked it, about Perrin, right? Yeah, okay. So so let's say Brewers make let's say they make the second wild card, right? Make the second wild card, win that game, go to the playoffs, win a series. If you look back at 2011, that had Granky, Braun, like it had it had guys that we remember. Yeah. Of the team right now, let's say 10 years from now when we look back, like who are the guys you remember from this team as being like those, like those were the those were the guys that like drove this team. I kind of feel like if it happens, it's gonna be because this was the start of a good stretch like multiple seasons and then you're yeah. going to remember your orlando arcias or domingo santana's or guys but it's like going to be on later seasons though yes right? no i think a lot of it will be built on later seasons because right now it's been you know obviously we've talked about it like chase anderson took a step forward that we weren't expecting jimmy nelson took a step forward we weren't expecting travis shaw has been unbelievable but like none of those guys are I've put together like memorable seasons that in 10 years, we're going to be like, God, you remember in 2017 where like Jimmy Nelson just stepped in, in the, in the summer and just did the business. Like, I mean, maybe I, we probably will, but like the average fan isn't going to go back and eulogize over something like that. Like now the caveat is, is if 
Travis Shaw comes for the last like month and a half and just hits bombs, like hits 350, 10 homers over a month and a half. Like everyone will remember a run like that. So it's it's obviously a difficult question because the ever loving narrative can still be written. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. That always happens. And I I mean I think the other thing is especially if like a pitcher gets hot, you know if yeah. you get, if you get a pitcher that really gets on a run in September and through the playoffs. I mean, that's where a legend can be made. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that is somebody like Nelson, though, because it's not only are they going to get hot, but they always have to pitch deep. Yeah. Right. They they have to pitch into the eighth and the ninth again and again. And that's that's what Jimmy Nelson gives you. That's what that's what Chase Anderson could give you before he got hurt. So we have to see how he's can come back because he can't even swing yet. So the odds that he's going to be able to to work deep just consistently is is a stretch. Like maybe Brandon Woodruff comes in and just is awesome. Like that's the kind of like narrative that you can build and you can remember for a stretch run. But again, I think that also it's part of the, you'd have this season, but you'd also have the following seasons that would, I think reframe that initial appearance in how they did. Right. And I think that's just for myself, it's a reflection of how this year has been the sum of its parts rather than the parts itself. Right. It's been, so many players took step steps forward that we didn't expect. So many guys were able to show that they could be legitimate everyday players that we weren't expecting. Um, you know, and even some of the prospects that we thought were going to come in, like Lewis Brinson, we thought, like I thought the plan was always for him to come in in the summer and it just hasn't happened. Well, and, and that's, that's what's funny about this season. It's kind of like, who are these guys? We've been waiting on a couple other guys to, you know, Brinson and Phillips and, uh, you know, hater getting in the, the rotation as opposed to being a bullpen arm. You know, those guys, we were expecting them to be the ones that, you know, all of a sudden they turned it on and turned the team into a contender of some kind. And it hasn't been those guys. And it's no fault of theirs. No, absolutely They, they just not. haven't gotten the opportunity because guys right. have been playing well. Which, which I do think is a big credit to David Stearns and – and I will say that I think that Craig Council deserves credit as well because both of them have been committed to giving younger guys who haven't had a chance to really break in with other teams to give them an extended shot and not give them two-week looks. To stick with somebody like VR for as long as they have stuck with VR this year. And yes, Eric Sogard played. Yes, they went out and got like Neil Walker. But VR still playing. Yeah, like, VR hasn't disappeared. Still- Right, and he's playing a little bit better now. And well, and VR has options, doesn't he? I mean, if they really wanted to, yeah, yeah. I think he still has one option left, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. But it's it's been a really interesting way because, uh, you know, we were I was having a discussion with somebody on Twitter about it a couple of days ago that like they're throwing this dichotomy. Everybody talks about how either going forward or rebuilding is not a useful dichotomy to set up. Right. But nobody has really been able to put together a game plan. Like Stearns has been able to put together in which they not only got prospects, but they always got these guys who were fourth outfielders, number five starters, overlooked guys that just kind of wore out their welcome at other places. And they gave them time to play. And it started with Aaron Hill. Mm -hmm. It started with guys like Aaron Hill. It started with guys like Chase Anderson. And VR was the first person they went out and got. 
and it was like they had a commitment to using their using their not their their low expectations to their advantage using the fact that nobody expected them to be good to go and get guys that needed a year needed a half year of just regular playing time to see what they had and just give them a shot to do it. And I think it's also a good warning as we wait for some of these other guys to break in to say, yeah. you know what, it's right. gonna it's gonna take some time. Arcia yeah. had a rough start to the season, you right. know, and before I mean, he started to catch about- on, and it could be longer for some other guys. It could take yeah. Brinson a year, a year and a half. I mean, it took Santana, you know, a full season, right? Plus. And I mean, you also made the the comment about Aaron Judge. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, Aaron, Judge, Aaron Judge did not come up and mash last year. Aaron, Aaron, Ju- Aaron Judge hasn't been that good in the last month. No. I mean, th- there's been shouts that he's actually been receiving cortisone shots in his shoulder since since the All-Star break, so, like, pump the brakes on it a bit. But even guys like, you know, I, I don't want, like, we could go on about this for a long time, but, like, like Giancarlo Stanton, everybody was kind of over him. Yeah, I mean, considering he was, you know, the one of the big hot names he got the huge was a 350 million dollar contract and then all of a sudden he had a few down seasons and again the guy came up when he was what 21 right and then he started to strike out a bit and everyone's like well it's just gonna strike out too much and he's always gonna be a high strikeout hitter who you know doesn't really want to play in miami or whatever and and just sometimes you need to give guys it like for sometimes guys like stanton are just gonna have boom and bust cycles like and that's fine Right. Because like Aaron Judge is also going to be a guy who strikes out a lot, but they can get crazy hot over times, you know, like Keon Broxton, like not to that same extent, but like, but you need to give guys time to actually adjust. And the Royals had the greatest idea for doing that. They had the the best opportunity to do it because Mike Moustakis was written off by everyone. Mm -hmm. Mike Moustakis is going to get paid. Yeah. Moustakis has been crazy. He's been. I think he's actually going to break a record for the Royals in terms of most homers in a season. Because what he has thirty, he's got to be around thirty-five right now. Yeah, I mean he's over thirty. I know that. I don't yeah. know the exact number. But like well, Eric Hosmer was also everyone. Somebody, everyone was disappointed with him too, and he's going to get paid. Well, it's crazy though because I think everybody was thinking Hosmer was going to be the big stud, and then with what Mustakas has done, because Mustakas was the one that everybody thought had some holes in his swing and was going to struggle a bit. Well, once he started to struggle, okay, not when he was necessarily down in the minors, but he struggled right away, and everyone's like, "Wow, he's got holes in his swing," and you know, and then and all of a sudden, power just came out of nowhere because he wasn't hitting with power at all when he came up. No, and now all of a sudden, like, he's just a monster I, up there. I think he had like three bad years. I'm gonna actually look it up. Yeah, it was a while, but I mean, he was a guy that I think he was floated with his defense though for a while as well because he's a he was a plus defender at third base when he came up. I'm not sure if it's still that way because now he looks more like a linebacker yeah he's a big boy now isn't he okay jp wrapping things up here we have a day game against the giants today and then uh three games against la before the brewers get to you know travel back home and actually play in the the comfortable confines of miller park so uh what are your thoughts on a, a successful road trip here what would it take man if i think Depending on what happens against the Giants, you know, this is Tuesday when we're recording, so we don't necessarily know what's going to happen against the Giants because they're going to play after our bedtime. Um, But I would say if they – 
if they don't get swept against the Dodgers, I would consider it a success. I mean, I, that sounds stupid, but well, on the way, considering on the, the way Coast, the Giants or the Dodgers have been playing, I mean, yeah, if you don't get swept yeah. by them, you're doing all right. Yeah, so I think I'd like to see them kind of pull out this series against the Giants. That'd be nice just because the Giants are poor. But on the West Coast, I think if you can get through the Giants and the Dodgers without getting swept in either of them, I think that that's actually a successful stretch. Like, I'd obviously want them to do better. But, you know, we were just looking at the schedule and, you know, they got the Cardinals coming up, got the Nationals, and then it's going to be a lot of the Cubs and the Pirates coming up. And so it's going to be a lot of big games. So hopefully if they can avoid a couple of sweeps, then those games will start to loom large uh, kind of going forward. Well, yeah, going into um, tonight's game against the Giants, I mean, they're a game up on St. Louis. So obviously if you can start making hay against the teams in your division, you know, and they're, what are they? There we go. Okay. And they're two and a half games behind the Cubs. Yeah. As, I, as I try to pull up the standings, uh, two and a half games behind the Cubs, their game ahead of St. Louis. So obviously every game against a division opponent right now, it's going to be a big one. I mean, they right. they can definitely make some noise if they get hot at this point. Yeah. And I think that it kind of brings to the broader discussion where there was a question on Twitter about like whether or not the Brewers should be looking at the wild card rather than than the division and which one actually is easier for them to obtain. Because my gut reaction is to say that we should be looking at the wild card as the best possible scenario for the Brewers to be able to make the the playoffs. But if you do look at the schedule with how many games that they've still got against the Cubs, with how many games they still have against divisional opponents, mathematically, it does make sense to say the division maybe is easier if they can do well in it, because if they don't do well against the division. They're certainly not going to be making the wild card just because of how many division games are left. Well, exactly. They're further behind in the wild card and they have games against the Cubs. Right. And, and my gut reaction was just saying the Cubs, I think are better than the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. That's just my feeling of why I my gut reaction was. We've been saying that all season, and at some point, you know, yeah. we're heading into September. I, it's almost time to start reevaluating. I think you know what you've done through five months is going to be pretty close to what you are. And again, teams yeah. can get hot for that final final stretch run, but you know, let's not pretend the Cubs of 2017 are the same Cubs that they were in 2016. No, I mean, especially like with what we said, with Lester being out, the fact that Jake Arrieta is not the Jake Arrieta from 2015, right? So, yeah, they still do have issues. Um, you just like to be able to see the Brewers get... I feel like the Brewers just haven't gotten the breaks that everybody else have gotten, and I think that it always feels that way when you're struggling or not playing as well as you'd like. I mean, we say but they it, haven't gotten breaks, but this was a team that I think most people didn't think were going to win 80 games. Right, but I'm fair, absolutely fair. But I just mean like in certain games where it feels like, you know, the Pirates are able to put together four blue pits in an inning to be able to pull out a game by one, right? And obviously the Brewers are going to be able to, they had Aguilar hit a ninth inning home run and, you know, that everybody's not going to look at that when they say people are struggling elsewhere. So I get it, but it just, it'd be nice to to feel like we're getting on the right side of some of the, because it's just every game is so close that it just feels like you're throwing so many away. And I get, and I get that in my brain, but sometimes it doesn't always like translate over to how I feel. And you always notice, you always notice the close games when they count. Yes. 
So, okay, that's going to do it for the show this week. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and we're available on Stitcher. And if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast when we switch to Sundays, which is coming up here pretty soon. We're going to record on Sundays, so the podcast will come out on Mondays instead of Wednesdays like we've been doing. Um, So go on any of those sites, leave reviews, um, and thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. It's not what I am, even though my zip code has changed. I might smile and enjoy where I'm cooking employed. Your soul can't be real.